Just so everybody will know, we are not up on uh, Facebook Live today on the Dave Ellswick Show. We're having real problems with the public access here. So next week we have another piece of equipment coming that I believe will uh, hopefully solve this. We're trying everything we can, believe me, to get this stuff up and keep it running and uh, making it so that it's not glitching all the time. But uh, it is glitching. But we would get into their wi-fi here except that homeland security says we can't and when the federal government says no i got to accept that as a solid no just letting you know okay so anyway that's where we're at right now so nothing on mevo today we'll be back on mevo because we'll be in the studio tomorrow for the friday show keep that in mind starting off is the same way that we always start off on a thursday in the two o'clock hour and that is jr davis will be with us it's been Quite a week thus far, uh, Jr. Probably the, the the craziest thing that has happened uh, here this week has been uh, Senator Flowers yesterday in the uh, Judiciary Committee. Uh, the governor say anything to anybody about that? It's a little bit unbecoming a state senator. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think fireworks is, is probably a good way to explain what took place uh, uh, yesterday evening uh, in Senate Judiciary. Uh, I, I would agree that there's a certain decorum um, mm-hmm. that I think senators uh, you know, should convey and, 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 and act accordingly to, and, and that obviously was not the case yesterday. Uh, I think the... Uh, you know, obviously, I wasn't there, and I've seen, I haven't seen the full clips. I've seen some of the clips. Um, it was surprising, uh, I think, to a lot of folks, uh, just as far as as far as it went. Um, but I haven't spoken specifically to the governor. I know he's aware that it took place. Yeah. Just in case you ever think about giving up your job, I would not give it up to her. It'd be more entertaining. (laughs) I'll show you that here. Let me just play a a little bit of this. Zach, go ahead and and roll this out. You're most likely going to be killed by a white person. And if you're killed and you're black, you're most likely going to be killed by a black person. Excuse me, I have the floor. And, uh, You're just saying stuff. No, I'm not saying stuff. I'm sitting right here looking at U.S. News and World Report. And it's, it's information on. Senator, you're out of order. Oh, wow. So? Well, so, Senator. What? Regardless of what you've said and how you've said it, everyone has respected you when you had the floor. And you're going to respect the rest of us when we have the floor. Don't tell me what I'm going to do. Don't tell me what I'm going to do. You're going to do that. 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 You're going to I live in a county where killings are just routine. I live in a county where people from the north where Ballinger's from come down there, open carry, for what purpose? But to threaten. All right. I could play more of that. We don't need to play more of it. 
She's talking about open carry, and that's directed at uh, State Senator Trent Garner, who was not open or or uh, concealed carrying uh, at the uh, committee meeting. Uh, she said because she's black, she understands this issue from a totally different uh, way than most Arkansans do. And uh, there's, you can go on YouTube. It is all over YouTube now, and it's all over Facebook, uh, Facebook Live, and whatnot. And so her 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 statement was, and then she stormed out. Her statement was essentially that that someone carrying a gun made her feel threatened. I could tell another story, but I I I haven't been able to reach the person that I would. I would like to have on mm-hmm. because there is there's a, a po- there's a lawsuit wielding its way through the halls as we speak that deals with Senator Flowers and erroneous remarks that she's made in the past. So I, I just I'm going to leave it there until I talk to the person because I, in fact, I expect any moment now that he's going to text <laughs> me and probably say. Wait until we talk about this, Dave. So well, I'll have him come on. I've I've talked about it in a general sense months ago, and it's taken months for this to get to where it's at. So I'll wait until I talk to him completely about it. But she may be in some deep doo doo about that too. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, so we got to. But she's done this on this on, down in the well of the Senate as well. I've seen her go off. Uh, in the well of the Senate. And I just want to know when people are going to get tired of it. It would seem to me that, you know, Dismang let her get away with it last year. Clark is getting uh, letting her get away with it in the committee. He had something on his Facebook last night saying if you wanted to do something to her as far as, uh, I think, disciplining her, you'd have to go through him and, and things of that nature. And, and I'm like, what are you protecting people for bad behavior for? I don't understand this. I, uh-huh. I really don't. You could, if it was me, if I, had, if I show up at a Senate committee meeting sitting at the end of the table. And shout down the, the and, chair. And start shouting down the chair. Uh, there would be somebody show up to escort me from the room. I'm just saying that's what right. would happen, and, might and a, rightly so. You might have a shiny new pair of bracelets to wear. Yeah, that's that's, <laughs> that's true as well. Now I'd call Jr. and ask him, "Can you take care of this for me?" <laughs> no, I'm just saying, I'm, no, I'm just saying it's, he, uh, he might bring you a cup of coffee. There's decorum that goes along with all of this, and there's right behavior and bad behavior, and this is this is atrocious behavior uh, on her part. I think I'll feel better if she'll get on in the well of the Senate. And will give a heartfelt apology to the citizens of Arkansas for basically showing her butt yesterday. Because that's what she did. And my dad wouldn't have said it that way. But I'll have to say it that way. She showed her butt. <laughs> it's very interesting. It was. It was. It's bizarre. I understand things get can get heated, but that's. Re- but the most I've ever seen is somebody throwing down. You know a. Um, a tablet or something and, and getting yeah. up and walking out of a meeting. I've well, seen that I, happen. And I think one of the things that was different about this case was that that she actually interrupted the chair and so she was she was literally out of order. In the past I've seen her in the, on the Senate floor. She was she was recognized to speak. She was at the podium. And so she wasn't really out of order. She was just an, very animated and and um, emotional. But this time she was actually interrupting the chair while he was trying to speak. 
and it, it just got out of hand. Now, if she wants to talk about gun violence in a racial thing, uh, look, as far as I'm concerned, she's here already representing an area that I refer to now as crime bluff, <laughs> uh, not pine bluff. So, you know, she needs, she should be working with the people in her district to uh, cut down on the crime. Well, I, I think, That's where people are getting shot. And, and I think her solution to that is to disarm her own people. And, and I think that's the, the wrong-headed approach. But that's, I think that's her solution is, well, we just need to disarm the people because we can't trust them with guns. And maybe she's to that point where she doesn't trust her own constituents. As far as I know, it's not white on black crime there. It's black on black crime. And that's one of the points that, that um, Alan Clark was trying to make there at the beginning of the, of the clip was that, that I think he said 90% of black people who are killed are killed by black people and 90% of white people who are killed are killed by white people mm-hmm. think, are, are about that. And so that's... It's kind of the, you, ki- you kill the people you hang out with. Yeah, I think that's kind of the kind of the thing. <laughs> that's is that, the way it works. That, that I think it is oftentimes the way it works. It's not random crime in a lot of cases. Okay, so we can move on. Then. Yeah, we've got... We can move on now. So the, the, the governor hasn't made any statement about this at all. We are fully focused on uh, getting the referred amendment uh, passed out today. And uh, obviously, we had some big news this week with the highway plan, the $95 million part of it, uh, going to his desk. And uh, we plan on signing that next Tuesday. So we're, we're fully focused. we got transformation. Uh, so, no, he hasn't made any statement on that at this point. Yeah, how's the transformation going? Everybody keeps saying it's taking too long. Well, I mean, first and foremost, uh, sure. <laughs> Uh, it's taken a little bit, but we're talking about a 2,000-plus page bill. Uh, we have certainly done our, our work on it, our due diligence. Uh, we're just going back through to make sure that everything is the way it should be. Uh, I think that's what the uh, uh, both chambers have been doing. Obviously, there's a bit of a stall in, in, in uh, Senate state agencies, uh, but we're, we're moving it through. It's just taking a little bit longer uh, than normal, but we certainly have the support for it. Uh, and we're looking forward to, to getting that ramped up uh, in the next couple of weeks as far as you know, running it through and, and getting it passed. Do you think the passage of it in the House and, the, and in the Senate will go fairly quickly? I think so. Yeah, I think so. I think there's the most of the debate, obviously, has been in, in committee. And I think uh, uh, Representative Davis, who, who's uh, done a stellar job with this in the House, and then, of course, uh, Senator Hester in the Senate, uh, but they have, I mean, they have, the really the debate has taken place in the committees. Uh, and so the way they did it. that's what you'd expect. Absolutely. And so what you've seen is you know, 16 different bills, 15 for the new cabinet uh, secretary positions uh, and, and, uh, and departments, uh, if you will. And then uh, the 16th was sort of just the technical corrections and things like that that need to be uh, involved as well. Uh, and so that's going to be pulled back. I believe they're filing the full bill tomorrow, which will be around 2,000-plus pages. But the idea of that was to get it out there, let people look at it, uh, let legislators study it, answer uh, any questions they may have, and that sort of thing. So that's that's where we are, uh, and, and we're on pace, just taking a little bit longer. 
than than we'd hoped. Uh, but that's okay. When you have questions, we want to answer it. And, as long uh, as it's done great. at the end of the session, exactly. that's all That's matters, the goal. Correct? As long as there's pen to paper by the governor's hand at the end of the session, we're all good to go. Um, but, again, it's okay. If you got questions, we want to answer it. Uh, we This is a huge undertaking. Uh, we, we say historic. Uh, it's been a historic session. I mean, we had a historic tax cut. We had a, we have a historic highway plan, and, and we're going to have a historic uh, effort to transform state government. And so there's a lot going on this session uh, that, uh, you know, I think people will remember for a long time. We want to get it right. So if we need to answer a few more questions, we certainly want to do that. But at the end of the day, this is the right uh, – this is the right direction for the state of Arkansas, uh, for uh, government as a whole to break down some of those silos, create more efficiency, save some dollars for the taxpayers out there. That's what this is going to do. Uh, and so I think we have tremendous support in both chambers. It's just basically sort of getting it out, uh, uh, you know, getting once the bill's filed, just getting it through committee and, and out onto the floors. Did any questions arise out of this that were surprising to the governor? Uh, I, I don't think surprising. I mean, I think that there's been some um, uh, there's been some detailed questions which we expected. I think there's some concern right now that that, um, and I, I'm not sure which one uh, in the committee, state agencies, in the Senate uh, is concerned about this, but that the secretaries of the actual departments. Uh, they're concerned that they would have too much authority as far as the hiring and firing goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't think that that is a is a concern that that needs to be uh, vocalized. Quite frankly, because we as Republicans say we want to run the public sector like the private sector, and you have CEOs, uh, or in this case, really sort of vice presidents uh, of, of specific departments that report up to the governor. Uh, and if you can name one private sector company where there are multiple CEOs within a department where the buck stops with each one of them, uh, I would be interesting to see that because none exist. Um, so, you know, the fact of the matter is the governor wants to put uh, uh, secretaries in place that will obviously delegate those responsibilities to those departments. But at the end of the day, yes, they will have uh, that final say in a lot of uh, those decisions, and they should. Well, that's uh, as, part of this. That's part of the, it. The governor doesn't want to have to make the decisions on sure. firing, except for the secretary. Exactly. And at the same time, though, the governor, I mean, look, the governor is the governor, and if, if there are issues within departments, the governor can make those calls. Uh, but at the, at the same time, he wants to delegate those responsibilities to the secretaries. The secretaries will certainly uh, be delegating some of those responsibilities to the department heads. Um, that's just the way it is, and that's, that's the way the real world runs, and we want to make sure that we uh, reflect that in what we're doing here um, in, in in the public sector. So, uh, but again, I think we have. I mean, that's just a, you have for a specific uh, anecdote. That's been one question that was raised. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're happy to answer those. But I, again, I can't uh, I can't praise Representative Davis and uh, Senator Hester enough for just the the work they've done on this, uh, and especially Representative Davis. He has uh, at this point in time, he, he's sort of like a. a uh, you know, an encyclopedia for uh, transformation. You ask him a question, he can answer it. And, and so he's done a really great job with a lot of those technical questions as well. So uh, we knew it was going to be uh, a big lift, but I think things have been going really, really well. We've got a lot of support, not just in the legislature, but uh, amongst the public too. So uh, we're excited. We've got three of the four T's done, um, and, and we'll turn our focus really to transformation starting next week. All right, we're going to take a break right now. We'll come back. J.R. Davis is our guest, governor's spokesman. He's got more questions coming at him when we return. We're going to ask him about the Arkansas flag because that that one kind of caught me off 
off guard that the governor got involved in it, but we'll talk to, to JR and find out where the governor's coming from on that. Don't forget about Allstate. Allstate over in Sherwood. you got a brand new agency over there, Dwayne Smith Insurance Agency. I know Dwayne personally. Uh, you can't do much better than go see Dwayne. He knows all about insurance inside and out. He's got good people working for him. Uh, you bring in your policy that you're under right now, they'll take your policy and they'll compare it to what Allstate has and they'll see what kind of money they can save you. To do that, make an appointment, 501-819-0373. 501-819-0373 or visit them at 3920 East Keel Avenue in Sherwood. We're on the third floor. We are over by the house side. We'll be back with more on the Dave Ellswick Show. You know, I've been talking uh, about PI Roofing and how they have purchased uh, Tommy uh, gutter cleaning. And now, when you need to have your gutters cleaned, and I know a lot of you still clean out your gutters. I've got an answer for that, but I won't get into it because it's another another business. But the bottom line, if you still clean out your gutters, don't do it. It's it's a dangerous activity, getting up on ladders and things of that nature, especially the older you get. And I can speak from experience on that. I've fallen off ladders when I was a lot younger, and now I don't get up on ladders very high because of, uh, you know, the, the whole thing of keeping your balance. So you're going to want to have somebody do that for you, and now PI Roofing does it as well. Uh, when they took Tommy's uh, gutter cleaning over, they put their professionalism to that. So if you're looking for gutter cleaning, you get now from PI Roofing, and if you've been doing that with Tommy's, uh, now you get it with PI Roofing, and you also have uh, their uh, roofing and their uh, home repair services at your beck and call as well. All you got to do is go to PI Roofing. PIRoofing.com, and it's got all the information there uh, for you. Uh, we're just a few moments away from the news at the bottom of the hour, but uh, we can start uh, discussing with uh, uh, J.R. Davis, who's our guest, J.R. Davis, who's the uh, governor's spokesman. Uh, the governor kind of jumped into this, this battle over the state flag, and uh, it, it seemed to be finally have been put to, to rest. And uh, now another bill has risen, now that the governor has said that it should be taken a, a look at. Well, what was it about this that he felt needed after that committee had looked at it and decided not to do it? I mean, 11 votes against, uh, you know, it should have just died in committee, in, in my opinion. Why would the governor get involved in it now? Well, I think first and foremost, uh, the, the sort of the context for why he... Uh, brought it up to begin with the governor was uh, on a walk around the capitol and a reporter asked him about it and uh and you know the governor just said what was on his mind what was on his heart and uh and that was it so this was uh that's all it was at the time and and but so I think it was that, just an off comment it was just an off comment that a reporter asked him about but okay but i mean he he, he believes what he said i mean and, and also here's the thing uh there's there's this is one of those things that um, there are passions on both sides, and I think when you when you look at uh, sort of the history uh, of of the flag, I mean this isn't one of those things that we're 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 changing up the flag, we're redesigning the flag. It's literally a, a redesignation of of a star, um, and in, in in the governor's mind too. Look at the history of it. 
this was voted on in 1923. It was nearly 60 years after the Civil War. Uh, it was at the height uh, as, as far as, you know, building monuments and erecting uh, Confederate monuments across the country. I think it was a dark period of time, especially if you consider Arkansas. 1923 was four years removed from the Elaine Massacre, where more than 100 uh, black Americans were killed. Uh, and, and so I think that when you look at the history, to me, it's clear why the fourth star was added at the time. Um, and I think that if uh, you know you have a state of three million people of all different backgrounds, and if there is something that uh, you know is hurtful uh, to a significant population of our state, it should be uh, considered. All right, we'll come back and talk about that when we continue the Dave Ellswick show after the news. All right, we're back with you. J.R. Davis is our guest here on the Dave Ellswick Show. He comes every Thursday, spends an hour with us, and uh, we talk to him about subject matter that's uh, in the news uh, that uh, the governor is, you know, either involved or not involved in, but probably has an opinion on on what's going on. And we've been talking about uh, the state flag because the top uh, star on the uh, Arkansas flag. Many people feel that's all about the Confederacy and there's people who believe and I'm going to say a minority of people who believe it should be that should be changed. And I think that's showing up in a lot of different things that are, have been published here recently. My whole my whole part in this is simply this. Why are we re- fighting this all the time? I I, I it's, it's settled as far as I'm concerned. The war is over. The union stands. Move on. Yeah. I mean, I, but I think that that's going to continue to happen. Uh, it's going to come up. Because, uh, look, I am, I'm a white man. Uh, <laughs> I'm from the South. Uh, and so I'm not even going to pretend to try and, and, you know, think I understand from some of our African-American legislators or from the, some of the African-American population of Arkansas, how that makes them feel. I don't know. But I think, too, when you're here in the legislature, uh, debate is okay. And and if you want to get it out, get it out of committee and let the let the vote. I, I Look, again, this is coming from, I'm just saying, just this is not a, a personal feeling. It's more of, you know, let the debate happen and, and, uh, and a, vote it down it, if you want. It's but, a symbolism. It's a symbolism issue. It's not a big policy issue if you will it's, it's a symbolism yeah. issue yeah, and, it's and a, so I, you know look I, I, I said this before the break but you know the flag is a uh, uh, should be a, a symbol of of your state uh, and in a population of three million folks where we have a very diverse uh, population if there's a uh, you know if there's something like that specifically with the Confederate star that that has is is a symbol of hurt or hate to some. Now, others, it's history and heritage. I get it. There's different factions here, and there's passions on both sides. I just, if if you debate the issue, and that's fine, and 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 make your decision from it. But you know, uh, I, I think that in Arkansas specifically, and and I I absolutely believe there are are those out there that say, hey, look, just what Dave said. Uh, the the war's over. Uh, the on. Union one, move on. We don't care. There's those that truly, hey, this is history. It's just our history. It's just saying, along with Spain and France and, and the United States, that this is who we've been under. Uh, and I agree with all that, and I certainly understand where they're coming from. But I think if you look at, at the history of it, 
and again, just how it was done, when it was done, I think the intent is fairly clear as to why it was added sure. in 1923, four years after the Elaine Massacre, where again, 100 African Americans were killed, mm-hmm. uh, more than 100 African Americans were killed, uh, and 60 years after the war ended. Right. Uh, right. So that's so- where I think that there's there's... I can understand from that faction that says this is hurtful and hateful because I think the intended purpose for adding it in the first place was so. I think after the fact, there are those who say, look, this is history and it's the heritage of our state. I understand that as well. I'm just saying I think we as Arkansans don't, you know, we can agree and disagree, but I think the debate is okay to have. And to shy away from that is where I think is just a little disappointing. Right. And so, and so we could, what if we compared it to something else? So the. The Battle of New Orleans song. I'm sure you're familiar. 1814. Yep. Yep. We took a little trip. Okay, so if if we were um, got into a more cozy relationship with the British, that might be an offensive song to them. That's a song about fighting the British and killing a whole bunch of them, and and it's a song kind of making fun of it. Yeah, the Battle of New Orleans, and it, we could. Some people might be very offended by that song, if you will, but it's not. It's not considered. It's not designed to be um, hateful. It's it's kind of a fun old song hey. from the forties or fifties or whenever that's yeah, from. I think it's a great song, and it's a cool it's song. It's also not but, our national but the, anthem. No, it's not. It's <laughs> not. But the but the thing is though that even if even if a song if a state accepted that, um, in Mississippi, for instance, if they sure. accepted that as a as a state song. I don't think they should necessarily stop doing that simply because it offends a bunch of British. No, it would probably have been Louisiana well, that would accept it as a state. Song sure, and it I, was the battle of down in England. Yeah, yeah, and look, I I uh, I totally understand what you're saying, but I think the the comparisons to you know uh, America, uh, you know uh, the, the the American Revolution and breaking away from Britain and, mm-hmm. and our you know founding fathers and the freedoms and you know yada yada yada. I do feel, though, are, is a is a different uh, sensitivity than what the Civil War represented to a lot of folks. And look again, I I agree. I think you know this, the South is the South. The history is the history. Mm-hmm. We've moved past it. But I also don't think there's a problem with a debate on it um, because if if again if, if there is a significant population, uh, and, and I'm not just talking about African Americans in this mm-hmm. state. I'm also talking about those who are are white or Hispanic right. or right. that feel the same way as that right. faction. Right. If there's an issue there, I think that there should be some sort of debate on well, it. And and we shouldn't shy away from and it and, and make the decision at the end of the day. And, but and, there should be a debate. Until a few years ago, I think a lot of people here in the South still felt like they were being oppressed by some of the northern um, 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 laws and such that were put in place. My grandfather told about how when he was working at a sawmill, there were still special taxes that were left over from the Civil War placed on on some of their activity there at the at the sawmill that was it was a um, reconstruction tech type tax I think so he they were still kind of ticked off at the federal government about some of the abuses that were still going on and so I, I think maybe some of this is still kind of left over from they're kind of kicking back against the federal government who they felt they felt was still abusing them after the war and so it, that, I think that's kind of what some of this is kind of coming off the heels of, yeah. and I think there's still some people that are still feeling that way because of the, some of the abuses and that I, went look, on. I'm not it doesn't Just bring up Lincoln, <laughs> right? Right. In some in, in some circles, Lincoln is a tyrant. 
Uh, he's not considered a great president. Let me just put it that way. And, and you're, you mean that. in certain circles? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. be honest well, with you. I mean, I think that it was a. Uh, it's Look, we're gonna we can get in we can get into whatever you guys want to get into, right, but right. I also but, think but that just, just, to, just no, but to I understand the, the, the reconstruction the, of the South after the Civil War was terrible. Was terrible, people. and and I think that you know you can't blame Lincoln for that. Oh, uh, he was dead yeah. by that time. Uh, but I'm saying, yeah, absolutely. And there's some there are some that still feel that just as you know those who yep. uh, families were part of slavery, they feel that as well. So I get it. There's sensitivities right. on both sides. I, the only point I'm saying is that you know have a debate and sure. and again i think with uh, we, we talked about this during uh the break with with and lincoln the lincoln the slavery aspect for lincoln was was never as uh strong as it was towards the end where he was uh where he saw he, he went through the trip in the south he saw the battlefields he it became more of a passion well say that just passion project for him uh towards the end yeah. of his first term as president but, you know, again, you're right. It wasn't there throughout, even until he got into the presidency, was to preserve the union, and we can talk about that more. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, uh, we got into that war because of states' rights. There was secession because of states' rights, and the states' rights aspect was who can, which states can and cannot uh, own slaves. Yeah, that, and, that and, and among other things. But, yeah, I think you're right about that. You're right among other things, but I promise you <laughs> that, is, that is the bulk it, of it the was reason a, they got it. I think, I think you're right that it was a big, a big yeah. issue in the secession. All you got to do is read the secession papers yeah. from the states, and that'll tell you. They'll say states' rights, states' rights, states' rights, mm-hmm. rights, but in the fine print, right. it is it is the Missouri Compromise. It's throughout basically right. saying, who can, who are you to tell us what we can and cannot do? Right. Uh, However, obviously, no one, I would say the vast majority of Americans uh, find the idea of slavery disgusting now, not back then. And so I think that that was, the, that was sort of the, uh, the, the point of secession. My whole point is you can't change it. It happened. It's done. Yep. Move on. What we need to do is spend our time looking at the highway bill sure. and all the other things that are going to impact folks that are alive sure. today, yeah, right now. That, this, this that's is, where I'm coming from. This is yeah. an issue I don't really care about. It's just one of those things. That, yeah. can, we, can we do something? Can we, can we focus on getting some liberty back? Look, you but got, it seems like a, it's, a, it's an issue distraction. that distracts from what I think are the major things that are out there that need to be yeah, taken let's, care let's of. Let's just change the flag to a white flag and be done with it. <laughs> Uh, I'll, let me, yeah, I'll, I'll say that again. Yeah, to the federal government. There's a couple things. The governor, I mean, his like, I forget what it was, his great-great-uncle or great-great-granddad was a saying, colonel yeah. in the Confederate right. Army. The governor is a huge fan of history, and he is the last person that says we're going to eliminate history or forget about history. Uh, that is not at all where he's coming from. And again, this was a walk through the hall where he was asked a question, and, and he's always going to be uh, upfront and truthful on what he thinks about an issue. Uh, and that's, that's kind of where we got to on this point. My issue, Dave, is you're absolutely right. There's a ton of things going on in this session that we need to concentrate yeah, on. Yeah, much more. But if we're going to sit there and say that we need the alligator gars, our state fish, or if we need a state knife, or if we need a you know cowboy holiday. I think that's I think dumb we can, stuff, too. But, I, but if we're going to do that, I think you absolutely have a case to have a debate on the issue of the flag. I would really like to get away so, from all of that kind of crap. 
I agree. I mean, really, but, be honest with you. But I'm just saying it's hard for us as you know Republicans or even those that were on the committee to say, well, we're not going to take this up, we're not going to debate it, when we have all these other things mm-hmm. that they've spent time doing. That no, I think it, Somebody you know, files the bill, you got to take it up. Sure. I mean, you, I guess the, the, the heads of the committees could say, I'm going to sit that one right there, yeah. and it's going to stay right. there. It ain't coming up. They, it they ain't going to move forward. They could do Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yes, they can do that. All right, we'll take a break on it. We'll come back, and I want to talk about the 911 bill. We had kind of scratched the surface of that last week. They're meeting about it this week, coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. If you're listening right now, in the 4 o'clock hour, go back and listen to the podcast of it. We're going to talk about the 911 bill because it's an important bill that's being considered and could cost you you know, as far as I'm concerned, quite a bit of money. That's coming your way when we come back on the Dave Ellswick Show. We're down to nine minutes, uh, a little less than that, to sit here and talk with J.R. Davis. He's the uh, governor's spokesman. And I want to move into another subject now while we still have time, and that's the 911 bill. How uh, How is the governor seeing that one, uh, uh, J.R.? Because... You know, I hear things about it. I'm going to have Stephen Meeks on a little later on in their show today to talk specifically about it, things that I've heard, $8 million out there for phone companies that work with about 4% of the population of Arkansas and things of that nature. It seems like we're this is a big, big can of worms to be try to be fixed. Well, obviously, we've, uh, I mean, throughout the last several weeks and months, I've outlined the governor's uh, agenda, mm-hmm. and, and so we've spoken about that. This particular item, I think it's, uh, the governor understands that it's important. Uh, we've had issues with, uh, you know, the, the AWIN system for a long time. Uh, 911 is essential. I mean, people want to be able to pick up the phone and call 911 in case of an emergency and know someone is coming. I mean, there's been, uh, there's been anecdotes that people have personally shared with me that they uh, call from from one county, their nine one one, and say, "Oh, you're calling from this place. Can you please hold?" Yep. Mm-hmm. And you've heard and, that from me. Was that you? Okay. That yeah. So, and I've heard other anecdotes as well that, like, you literally uh, uh, it, it the exact work. same thing happens, or they can't find their location, right? Uh, because they're either calling on a cell phone and they're not able to, you know, for a GPS. Yes. So it's been a long time coming. Uh, it's it is a I think no brainer from a policy perspective. We've got to get it fixed. So is this a is this a big band aid or is it actually going to fix the problem? No, it will, it'll fix the problem. But, but will it? Well, I mean, I mean, what, I guess you could say uh, you build a house so it'll keep you keep the rain off of you, right? But when you have a leak, is it a failure? Well, I mean, so the idea right, is. I, I guess like, what I'm asking is: yeah. is this a, is this a a, a well built new house or is this just another mobile home? Well, I mean, I think we. Well, I, mean, I, don't, I don't know how to answer that. I think we hope it's a well-built house. Well, I, mean, I think it, what, what the point that he's making yeah. is there enough transparency within the bill itself to make sure that the money is going for exactly what it's supposed to be going okay, yeah, for. No, is it functional? I mean, because right now the system we have is pretty dysfunctional in some cases. Sure. Well, yeah, yeah, let me ahead, make the yeah. point. All right, you're talking about two dollars and forty cents per device that you have at your house. I'm just going to take a family of four. So let's say, uh, you know, Junior and, uh, and Missy, they have their own cell phones. Mom and Dad have their cell phones. And let's just say they get two tablets with them. That's $14.40 a month times 12 months is $172.80 a year. Folks, that's a lot of money when you add up all the people who have cell phones and devices like that. Are we sure the money's going to be spent? you know, 
out the way it's supposed to be? That it, do we have the uh, a specific kind? Is everybody going to have the same type of technology and all? That's my questions about sure. the bill. Yeah, and, and honestly, I don't, uh, as I said before, I mean, this is not the governor's, uh, this is not part of his agenda or something that we're uh, focused solely on, but we know that there needs to be a fix. Uh, and, and so there's got to be something done to fix the problem that when people pick up the phone, they are actually receiving that emergency uh, uh, response that, that, that you know, we all know that seconds count. So to your question, though, I, I don't know. I don't know that mm-hmm. uh, the, you know, how much oversight. I think that's really going to be important. I think accountability is really going to be important. Um, if it's not, uh, and I think, look, there's a, I think there's a heavy burden on this as well to say we are spent. This is the money that is being spent to to fix this, and it better be fixed. Right. So, to I ask you answer your question, I understand what you're saying now, but yeah, the hope is that this is a brand new, you know, perfectly built home that addresses the problem. Right. Uh, and and obviously that's why you do anything is that you hope that that's what's right. going to address the problem. But I think there's a heavy burden on those uh, that will have to make sure that this this is fixed and it is working from this point forward um and but again though i think that that's a debate that will play out in the legislature and i think it's uh it's an appropriate debate especially when you're talking about the funding of it are there other options available i mean because i mean i i don't know what else is available i could conceive of having just an app on your cell phone that says you know with an emergency button and it calls some and it sets it up it knows knows where it is it's got a gps system in it I could see that being sold for a dollar a head. Well, you're going to have for to a year, and I, that, but that's not JR. I mean, yeah, no, that, no, it's not. That's him. going it's to be Stephen Meeks and, yeah, somebody, his, and his committee and talking to, to us about somebody it. Somebody would have yeah. to develop and that, and they obviously have greater detail. I'm not going to pretend at all to think that right, I'm a right, right. tech no, guru not. here because I have no idea how all that right. happens. But I knew there. I know that there's a lack of technology uh, that does impede uh, their ability to track people with cell phones. That's why I think you're seeing the shift. From landlines, which I think is around sixty-five cents, to uh, the cost shifted to cell phones mm-hmm. and tablets and things like that, because um, it's sort of the same thing when you talk about highways, right? That you have this, you know, diesel and gas is is a continuing decrease in funding because fewer and fewer people are are using yep. gas and diesel. Same thing with landlines; fewer and fewer people have landlines, sure. so it's so the so the system itself is as sort of. You know, well, the landline system was it was it was automatic. You knew where the address right, was exactly. to the landline, so that wasn't a problem. Where cell phones, you know, my address is in Greenbrier, but you know, I might be in California, so my cell phone needs to t- needs to be able to tell nine one one where I am. Right, and and the technology is available on my phone. Whether or not the government has actually integrated that in, into their system, we don't know. Well, that's the, but, but, I the think. but the fact is, the technology is is available. Whether or not the government has actually developed it for on their end is kind of the issue because we know we know that some different private organizations have done that like, like uber and wherever else because you know i think uber can find you almost anywhere you are yeah i mean no it, and it, I, I look like i said i'm uh i know the governor supports us uh right uh, moving this, forward with this, this because there needs to be his yeah, point I mean, is he supports something nine one one and doing something fixed. with it but yeah. It's so, up to the legislature to decide how you're and going to And there's going to be a debate. It. I mean, certainly the things right. you guys raise, it'll be raised, and, and they'll they'll hash it out. And, uh, mm-hmm. well, obviously the most important thing, and, and this is, I know it sounds cliche, but we want to make sure the people of Arkansas are protected, whether you're in an urban area or a rural area, and that when you pick up the phone and you're, you know, uh, whether you're a kid and your father's having a heart attack or you're mm-hmm. a parent and your child fell off a tractor, that you can get the help you need immediately versus – 
and now I now I can do right. proper credit to Dave with the story uh, with someone uh, right. picking up the phone and saying, Same. "Please hold." That's Please the hold. worst. That's got to be the worst thing to hear right, in an emergency. Not good. I'm just right. And so the next time Dave calls, he might actually call the hospital himself. Yeah, I might like, call Uber. You might call Uber. Yeah, they get you there faster, right? Uber nine one one. Maybe there's there's your <laughs> and, fix. And so there, the, 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 the nine one one. Well, the solution is maybe is maybe is that you you punch in speed dials for the emergency numbers you need. And that would be another option yep. outside of paying for a, a new program. Well, like I said, this is uh, the policy itself. You know, we've we got to get it fixed. It's been a long time coming. A-Win is, is not where it needs to be, so let's fix it. Um, but let's obviously do the right thing by uh, taxpayer dollars. And, and, and I'm and looking we, forward to the debate. And we don't want to be 10 years down the line having a debate about what they've done this legislative session like we're having a debate about what they did when we had landlines mm-hmm. and they didn't take care of it in the first yep. place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean exactly. that's the key. I mean learn learn from some mistakes that you that you've mm-hmm. made and, and we we'll, wouldn't do that. Yeah. And I think too at the end of the day people are uh uh, you're right. That that you added it up at the end of the year. Would you say like 170? 170. If it was a family of four, everybody had a cell phone and they had two tablets. It'd be 172 dollars and 80 cents yeah. a year. So that's a lot. That's obviously something that needs to be debated. But I also would uh, would think too that if that family called 911 and it saved their kid's life, that might be worth it to them. So it I think be. that that that's going to be part of the debate. And so uh, I agree. Whatever we do, it needs to be. Uh, with taxpayer dollars in mind, but we've also got to make sure that we have a system for all Arkansans, not for just those who live in urban areas. So We're out of time. Okay. Thank you much, JR, for coming on. Good uh, debate and talking today on some of the issues that the state is still facing. And uh, along the line, they're going to make some decisions here at the state legislature about what they're going to do about that. We'll see you again next Thursday. See you next Thursday. Thanks so much. All right. We'll take a break now here on the Dave Ellswick Show. The news coming up. And then we'll be back here at uh, 101.1 FM. The answer. Back with you, 3 o'clock hour, and uh, State Representative Mark Lowry is with us. He's from the Maumel area, and uh, I remember when he first ran for uh, State Representative and when he won, and now, what, you're in your third term? I'm in my fourth term. Your fourth term now. Wow. Time flies. It does when you're having fun. I guess so. Are you having fun now? I am having fun. <laughs> I, I feel like one of those uh, guys that keeps plates spinning. Yeah. You know, and they, uh, the more plates you have spinning, Except the more that you're not on the Ed Sullivan show. That's right. I'm not on Ed Sullivan. <laughs> but, you know, real, real quickly, this is something, this bill that you're going to be running, what number is this bill? Uh, the school date start? Yes. Uh, that is um, HB 1390. Okay, HB 1390. Now, here's... What they said when they talked about starting school earlier every year, making making uh, uh, summer vacation shorter, the kids forget stuff. So if it's shorter, they'll have they'll they'll forget less. Uh, you can teach them more uh, because you got an extra week that you get, or two, some two weeks uh, to teach them. Here's what I say: 
if that's the case, why aren't the numbers reflective of those extra week or two of, of school? You would think that uh, your scores for your schools would have all gone up, but that's not the case. What it has done is it's taken a couple of weeks away from families that they could have been together and uh, enjoying each other's company. And I understand that there's some people going to say, but Dave, if they started earlier, that's another week of child care I've, I've got to pay for. My answer to that is a simple one. Might, it might tick a lot of people off. School systems are not, are not child care. They are not child care. That's not why they're there, and they shouldn't even be considered that way. So why, that, that's reasons that I can see why you would be doing what you're doing. You tell me what is the main reasons you're doing it, Mark. Well, uh, thank you for, for letting me have the opportunity to talk about it. Uh, this bill's been out there for a while. I filed it uh, knowing that uh, it would spur conversation, and, and we're getting some good conversation going good. about how do, we, how do we implement it, what are the benefits. Obviously, the number one issue is that we are very proud and we tout that the uh, tourism industry is our number two industry in the state of Arkansas. But as we have uh, creeped further and further into the summer, specifically the month of August, it's had dramatic downturns in the tourism and hospitality industry. I mean, uh, we're starting school when? Sometimes between the 6th and the, the 12th of, uh, of August? Somewhere around there. And uh, so the latest version of the bill uh, states that we would not start uh, – No, we would – you could not begin any earlier than the third Monday in August. Okay. Uh, originally filed it at no earlier than the Monday before Labor Day. Uh, that got some considerable uh, feedback, pushback, mainly because uh, we're tied to a system that looks at s- school calendar days. So the conversation that uh, I've been having in recent days is to uh, that we should look at adopting what Missouri has done, which is to look at classroom hours. Okay, that's a good so, idea. So you take the 178 days uh, that we required, and we and we have a six-hour minimum. Uh, have, don't have the math in front of me, but I think it's around 1,080 hours. That gives the flexibility to school districts that if they extend the school day by 30 minutes, just 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. They can reclaim, they can take off 14 days on the school calendar. Wow, that's good. 14 days. They wouldn't have to go any later into May. They wouldn't have to go into June. They would be able to start later, which will give benefits to the tourism industry, obviously. And there's research that shows, empirical research, that shows that the industry loses, the state loses about $10 million a year in tax revenues per week. Per week that you're taking away in August, and the industry uh, is not able to reclaim that by any other month in the year. But the other thing is that you save on utility costs in the schools. I already had a couple of school districts send me their data showing it's about 50% higher utility costs in August. Uh, we're all run air conditioning, and, and you know the question, the issue that you brought up a while ago about well, we've been doing this for this earlier school start for some time. Why aren't we seeing improvements? Uh, not only that, we're not seeing the improvements. Right. The other is that we are also seeing, if they're worried about gaps in learning, then why are we granting a full week for Thanksgiving? We never did that before. 
Yeah, you, you got Thursday and Friday. It off. used to be Thursday and Friday, and, That's and right. of course, I know what happens. I taught at UCA, and uh, students started leaving on Wednesday. Some professors started canceling classes on Wednesday, so they moved it Wednesday to Friday. Well, then the same thing started happening on Tuesday. They just threw their hands up and yeah. said, "Oh, we'll give the whole week off." That is not the way things should be done. That's the tail wagging the dog. I'm with you. And uh, so this, uh, you know, the other issue we have is related to the testing window. Testing is usually done by early May, and notes are being sent home with kids to their parents saying, send the child to school tomorrow with a blanket and some reading material. Instruction stops. And I've talked to some school superintendents and people in the schools and said, and I've tried to cover it by saying i know this is just anecdotal information they shake their head and they said no we really know that this is a problem yeah so uh, i'm also talking to the department of education of moving the testing window further into the month of may one the students will have more time to learn correct there'll be more instructional hour hopefully or hours hopefully we would be able to see better results on our assessment testing so there's there's a ton of residual impacts positive impacts that could come from this move it's just that at the same time there's a lot of moving parts and um, i'm trying to figure out a way that we can actually do it in a bill yeah i was just you know as you're talking about i'm i'm all about you know family and them having more time and i understand there's a lot of single uh, family members out there i was a single family member for five years i understand the, the difficulties with that. Uh, however, I think uh, I would say that I would like to have the extra time uh, with my kids at that time. Right. You know, I, I really, I, I, I would, uh, as far as that's concerned. Well, and if you also know that you're not having to go back to school in mid-August, you can readjust your, your summer vacation schedule. Or your summer schedule where there's activities that you can do in August that you may not have been able to sign up for before. Sure. Uh, well, Little League season could be a little longer. Fast pitch softball season could be a little bit longer. They're so so compressed now because they've compressed the amount of time you have available during summer. You might be able to take, take advantage of some of the lower-cost vacation options after some of the other states have sent their kids back to school. Absolutely. And, and we're seeing some of our main attractions in the state uh, losing business, not because the flow of people who want to come in stops. It's because they have to release their summer employment who are students. Sure. Oh. If it's a if they're they lifeguards or their Wild River Country or whatever, yeah, they have to release them, all those places. And they just have to say to potential customers, sorry, we're having to shut down. We lost our employment pool. Yeah, that's why they end up going from a full week being open to a weekend of being open. That's right. And so, you know, I had mentioned several things in talking to school folks about uh, the benefits to the schools, the benefits to the tourism industry. And the question was asked me, he said, well, Mark, you haven't said anything about the students. Well, I have. I'm say, saying it here with the employability issue, with the issue that we can probably do a better job in making sure that we use the school day more effectively, the school year as far as the testing cycle, mm-hmm. you know, there's this this love affair that school districts have with the attitude of, oh, well, we want to fin- finish the first semester before Christmas. What does that have to do with learning? That's just a preference. There's nothing that says you can't finish 
the first semester after the Christmas break and then take up the second semester. But they, they, they're so stuck on a model. I mean, it, and we could go on and on about how we're stuck on an agrarian model that doesn't even uh, apply uh, to our modern-day time, the, the whole concept of, of school. Um, we do far, far too much experimentation in other areas, and then some other areas we just say, well, we're doing it that way because it's the way it's always been done. So for HB 1390, what's been the, you know, uh, kind of what's response. been the pushback as far as, as it goes? And when will it go up to committee? Well, it is in committee now. Okay. Uh, it's been there for a while. Uh, the main pushback was the start date of uh, no sooner than the Monday after Labor Day. Uh, well, I should say, actually, the main pushback is that I did not have language in there that specified that this would not begin until the 2021 school year. Okay, give them a year to prepare. Yeah, calendars that already have already been established. So I've done two intermediate uh, amendments already, or one in, uh, two changes in one amendment. Um, the one about 2021, uh, the other about... Um, just seeing if we can regain at least one year, or excuse me, one week, produce some empirical data for the tourism industry and maybe even for education of whether this uh, works, for, right. you know, and then we can look at whether we want to start even later. So you're going to run a test? Um, yes, but, the, but in the meantime, to accommodate schools within their calendar without them having to cancel va- uh, break spring break thanksgiving break right. whatever see if we can't also adjust to this academic hours or instructional hours model rather than instructional day then school districts could maybe have the option run to school 15 minutes later they can cut seven days out of the calendar they go 30 minutes later each, each day they can cut 14 days out of the calendar and but if we've set a target date that you can't start any earlier than the third monday then we know that we're making that impact and on the other end, we're making the impact that the schools are going to be able to prove that it's not going to hurt instruction. Okay, so when will, do you think this is going to be put up for a vote? I would imagine uh, we will not see it up for a vote. Uh, and I know we're running short of time on the session, but the week after next. Okay. I'm going to try at that point and fast track it. I've got so much support from major stakeholders uh, especially if we're able to make this this lift, this shift on academic hours. I think if we can get that and make it workable, uh, we could see that, that bill fast-track. Okay, and do you um, have the superintendents behind you? Well, they're the ones that actually brought to me the suggestion of looking at instructional hours. Okay. Uh, I had not even thought about that, didn't know it was a possibility. Missouri just not too long ago adopted it, other Right. States in in some uh, measure uh, do that. It's doable. I just have I've got the department trying to help me find out how many sections of code have to be changed. You know how, right. how many pages of amendments do you have to go through uh, to cover everywhere that it references instructional days, and and that that could be the most difficult thing. But it's doable, uh, especially if there's an agreement that all parties are on board. Uh, including superintendents, school board association, teachers union. I've talked to them. 
the argument I'm making with them is that we can do this without changing teacher contracts. Right. That's and, important. And if they are <laughs> teaching less instructional days, that it is, in effect, a raise. And that's something we've not really been able to do other than raising the minimum teacher salary. Uh, so there's a, a lot of good positive effects, but, you know, it's just something that we're having to work through pretty quickly. All right, let's get a break in. We'll come back. And uh, we had something else we wanted to talk about, didn't we? Right. Uh, going to talk about uh, the Safe and Sound Scholarship. Yeah, let's talk about that. That's all coming your way. The Dave Ellswick Show. We're uh, at the General Assembly. We're on the third floor, House side. We'll be back with more in a moment. All right, back with you. And uh, State Representative Mark Lowry is with us. He has got House Bill 1726. I like this. I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about it. But initial presentation you meant to me, made to me at lunchtime today, i got to say, sounds very intriguing. It's an exciting proposition. It's something that I heard at an education conference, heard a presentation by a legislator in Florida. They have a program called the Hope Scholarship. And it's specifically targeted towards students who've experienced bullying, intimidation, school violence. Uh, if the parents uh, of the child or the guardians report the incident to the schools and it's found to be a true bill that it actually did happen, uh, the students in Florida, they then qualify for a scholarship that is uh, basically a voucher. Um, we call it, I'm calling it here in Arkansas, the Safe and Sound Scholarship. And it would be a straight voucher out of uh, minimum foundation funding. Uh, the Florida bill actually has se- a separate revenue stream that goes to it. But I'm just, you know, my attitude is if we're going to be serious about school safety, then the schools have to have some skin in the game and they have to have some incentive to make sure that they're keeping the kids safe. Okay. Well, this operates maybe in a reverse way where they know if we're not keeping them safe, we're going to lose foundation funding. Now, they ought to care just about the kid itself. Yeah, that's right. So and the, not the dollars. So the foundation funding is the what? That 7500 bucks or so that you, comes directly from the state? That, that's right. It's okay. the minimum foundation aid uh, so that not, we establish so, each year. So they'll still keep their local funding that comes from They'd the still get the local. Yes, from, they get the, the local funding. Property taxes and stuff. Yeah. Okay. So... I'm well, leaving you some time hey, for questions because hey, I thought you'd have some good ones. Hey, I don't, I, uh, you know, putting more power in the parents to, to make decisions like this, I, I think, is going to help bring back some um, sanity to our, our systems. I think one of the problems right now is we get government raising children too much, and therefore they turn out socialists. I think this is maybe a step in the right direction, and it's it's only going to apply to kids who are being bullied, but it's it's something. Well, the thing that really caught my attention, you know, the, the governor had a task force, a Blue Ribbon Commission, that looked at school safety mm-hmm. uh, after the school shootings at Parkland. Um, uh, the Joint Performance Review Committee that I co-chaired last uh, biennium with Senator Irvin, we did hearings on it. Some of the evidence that came forward that said, and I've uh, looked back at it recently, the uh, over, I can't remember the exact number, but I think it was something like 51% of uh, students who became active shooters had experienced a bullying incident, a mm-hmm. school violence incident. When you look at adults who are out of school, they've they're already left school uh, and they're active shooters, it's like 60% had experienced school violence. Mm-hmm. You know, we can put in all the 
the, the resource officers, and I agree with that, the metal detectors, all this. But here's an issue where we can directly impact school safety. Mm-hmm. We can impact on the front end maybe being able to diffuse a situation where a student is so traumatized mm-hmm. that they would be a potential active shooter. Snap. And then secondly, you, you create a, a greater incentive for the schools to make sure that students are not – you know, they know where the corners are where kids get trapped and get beat up on. They mm-hmm. know where they are. Can, yeah. Well, now they're going to have an incentive to make sure that they're monitoring those corners. They're doing something yeah. about it. Or As opposed to just turning a blind eye. Right, or they're going to lose the money. Yeah. And um, it, it, there's a long list. It's not just bullying. It's battery, harassment, hazing, kidnapping, physical attack, robbery, sexual offenses, assault, threats or intimidation, mm-hmm. or even fighting at a school where the student is not the instigator. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we're, we're limiting the, period, the reporting period to a two-week period mm-hmm. because you don't want you can't just come back and say, you know. Yeah, you know, a year ago this happened to right. me, so I want to go to the private school. It's not going to apply retroactively. Mm-hmm. This legislation's passed. You can't say I had it. My student son had an incident last year. Mm-hmm. What we know is already happening is a lot of families are putting their children in private schools because the students have been intimidated. Right, while they're still paying taxes for the public schools. Right. And in some of those cases, we're talking about kids who had disabilities. We're talking about autistic children mm-hmm. that are being, you know, they're functioning, around. they're functioning in their autism, but they're, they're being pushed around. They're being bullied. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw a report yesterday of a young girl who was so, she was her both Norfolk, Virginia. Mm-hmm. Her arms were burnt by an accident with scalding water. Mm-hmm. And children were constantly making Teaser. fun of her, yeah. bullying her, teasing her. And she had to leave the public schools. She's flourishing as a student in the private schools, mm-hmm. but in the meantime, the they family have, is they, having to pick up that dime. Right, they, and, and, the, and the private schools probably have better supervision and, and such. All right. We're out of time. Okay. Mark, appreciate well, you coming by. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm always, you know me, I'm ready to talk. All right. Keep watching <laughs> for House Bill 1390 and House Bill 1720. Six, you might want to uh, pick up the phone, call your state rep, and ask them to support both those bills. Mark, thank you much. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure to have him on. Appreciate it. All right, we will take a break for the news. Got That's coming up. Uh, don't forget, we got Senator Bozeman coming up at 4.30, and we have uh, Stephen Meeks coming up at 4 o'clock. So what do you think about what we just heard from State Representative Mark Lowry over in the uh, Maumelle area? Uh, dealing with the changing of uh, hours of instruction so that uh, these kids don't go back to school until just before uh, September uh, instead of uh, going back to school uh, for the end of summer break uh, in the third, you know, like the the first week of, of August. They go back the third week of August, or some of them, they might want to even push it like, Oh, my God, they want to go back to the way it used to be when I went to school. You went back to the first day after Labor Day. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I like for kids to be around their parents pretty so much as, as, as much as possible. And so I think it will bring about that end. Okay, now, I understand, and I want everybody to understand, I understand there's a lot of single parents. Mm-hmm. I do understand it. I was a single parent at one time. Went through a divorce, raised four kids by myself for about 
five years. It's a rough situation. You don't it's want. Not, no, I don't want to do it any okay. again. All right, you, you but here's the key. Else. I wouldn't have given up the time that I had the kids home for summer. Mm-hmm. I loved that time. In fact, I basically sat and, and manipulated my work around so that I could be home. Spend time with them. Yeah. If you, yeah. A lot of times you talk to uh, your employer, that can be worked out. Here's what I don't like. People making the decision that uh, going to school is their form of daycare. Right. Unfortunately, that's kind of what it's become. For some to, people, to it people. is. Well, and you look at some of the test scores and such in some of these inner cities and places where they talk about kids not even being able to read way on up into into the various grades. And it, it pretty good evidence that it basically is a daycare program. Here in Arkansas as well, and we're still... We still have a large farming community. It's the number one industry in Arkansas. Uh, what seemed to me a lot of farmers and their families would be very uh, benefit from bene- it. Yeah, would benefit having their kids home for an, an extra couple of weeks yeah, during kind of the more productive seasons of the year. And yeah, and I, I, I really like the idea of children being able to be with their parents, especially in a productive way. And um, and so especially for farmers and, and people who have businesses where their kids can work with them, I think that's really important for children growing up. And I think it's also important for the adults growing up, if you will, because I think one of the things that helps um, adults to become more mature is to be around their children. And when you separate children from their parents, it's it hurts both the children and the parents from, from a, um, a maturity standpoint. Because, you know, I don't think God was a dummy when he set up the family with mothers and fathers to raise children. You notice that God didn't set up a, a, a system where children were, were raised in a, um, in a separate fashion. Now, you may have had and, some people until you brought in God. I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> well, I'm just saying. You know. Right. Well, but I'm, I'm assuming that a lot of our audience is... Christian? Uh, yes. I mean, it, w- whether Jewish or Christian. God-believing. Yes, God-fearing people. And and um, so so I think, I think a lot of us appreciate that standpoint. And, and I think just even in general, children benefit from being around their parents. Unless their parents are just really bad losers, then I, I think that children will benefit from spending more time with their parents. And, and then the the ancillary issue, kind of where I'm, what I would see it is kind of some improved productivity by having children available to work more during the summer hours because they can have more productive days where they can work at various different um, recreational facilities. Yeah, and, I just think it's a really good bill. I like it. I personally think this, uh, the. It, I don't see it, how it, it does any harm. I don't think it does any harm. I also think that uh, it has been uh, kind of a, a crock of trying to sell people that if your kids aren't going to school all the time, they're going to learn what they're going to they're going to forget what they've learned and 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 all the rest. And it has it not proven itself that way. It is not, and we've not seen some kind of great impact on kids test scores or anything like that that has not happened and with that in mind it won't hurt kids 
not to be indoctrinated for an extra three weeks or something. Sure. No, and that's, and that's and that's one of the big problems with public education. I think is that it, that it, it it's it's one of the biggest campaign tools for the Democrat Party. It's really good at promoting socialism. You don't even have to use the word because you immerse the child in it. And um, but yeah, I I I think you're right that it's it's good for for parents to be around their kids another three weeks out of the year. Yeah, I don't think it'll hurt. All right, we're going to come back and talk about House Bill seventeen twenty six. Uh, as well, I noticed uh, Mary Bentley filed another bill okay. in regards to um, promoting healthy food products oh, with some of the food like, like food stamps type. And she tried program. that two years ago. She and did. It didn't go. It went over like th- as they would have said a Led Zeppelin. Well, you know, I think it actually got out of the house, but it died in the Senate <laughs> yeah. last session. But yeah, it, it died. Yeah, but it was tough to get it out of the house. Yeah, I, think, I think you may be right. I think but, it was um, tough. But we'll see. We'll see okay. what, where it one, goes with one this. One of the reasons I like having Mark Lowry on is that he thinks outside the box a lot. And he thought outside the box about bullied uh, kids. kids. And we're going to talk That's about a neat that idea when we too. come back. Yeah, House Bill 1726. Uh, let me remind you that Monday, uh, I will not be here. Typically, I would be here, but I will not this Monday because I'm going to be over uh, at uh, the uh, uh, Roland Raps. Uh, doing my show at their uh, business, which is 4420 East 43rd Street here in uh, North Little Rock. Let me tell you some of the great things that's going to go on over there. You don't want to miss this because you enjoy great food from the food trucks that are going to be there. And uh, then you can get your Yeti cups wrapped if you want and more. There's going to be a bunch of giveaways that we're going to do, including Yeti products and other items. Uh, there's going to be tinting auto specials during the remote. It's one remote you don't want to miss, so keep that in mind. That's this Monday from 2 to 6 over at Roland Wraps, 4420 East 43rd Street on the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, Sunny's Auto Salvage, your number one choice for recycled auto parts. I use them uh, a lot. Because they saved me a lot of money and uh, for recycled auto parts. I mean, I put recycled engines and transmissions and all kinds of stuff. Saves me about $6,000, $7,000. It's a good way to go. The way to have this explained to you is call over there, talk to RD or one of his, uh, his folks. If you got an engine that it has reached the end of its life for a transmission or any kind of part, uh, for a car. Every part's guaranteed, comes with a standard warranty, one, two, and three-year warranties on all parts. All you have to do is call them, 982-7451, 982-7451. That's the number to call for Sunny's Auto Salvage, your number one choice for recycled auto parts. Stephen Meeks just walked up. He'll be joining us after we come back. We're also going to talk about House Bill 1726 and more as the Dave Ellswick show continues. All right, back with you here on the Dave Ellswick show, third floor, house side. Uh, State Representative Stephen Meeks is going to be with us. We're going to talk about House Bill 1564, or as I've been referring to it, as the 911 bill. Uh, I think that's the easier way to, to know it than to know it as 1564. Um, I'll let you know that I talked to J.R. Davis today, as I always do, and uh, he said the governor is uh, behind getting 911 taken care of. 
uh, during the legislative session. And uh, I thought that uh, was some good words for, for you, uh, Stephen. But there's been some questions about uh, the 911 bill. Uh, let's start at the very beginning because it's the one that came up, boom, right at the very beginning. That there's $8 million in this bill for nine different phone companies that service 4% of Arkansas. Is that true? And if, if it is, why? Uh, that question still remains. Uh, whether that's going to be st- uh, stay there or not. So that's related to the Arkansas High Cost Fund. Uh, the way that that currently works is, uh, and this goes all the way back to the days when they were first ringing phone lines across the state, that uh, it was more expensive to uh, you know run a phone line out to Grandpa's farm. And so they started assessing a... Subsidizing uh, it. Subsidizing, yeah. Uh, the thought being is that uh, you know if I'm living in the city, I still want to be able to call Granddad out on the farm. So it, it, it was a benefit on, on both sides. So uh, that is uh, the original source of the Arkansas High Cost Fund. Uh, that fund currently uh, receives about $40 million a year. And in Arkansas statute, as it stands right now, the um, it's broken up into the four tiers. So you generally have the real big guys, the mid-sized guys, the small to mids, and then the real smalls. The small ones have, uh, I think, fifteen hundred carriers or less. And um, there's a formula within the bill, and we can current law, and we can we can maybe look that up at a break if you're interested in the exact okay. numbers. But uh, suffice it to say that forty million dollars is broken up uh, amongst those three, and it is used for uh, maintaining the network and extending the network. So, in other words, they can use it for uh, modernizing equipment that is going out to uh, current. Or uh, what we've seen in recent years, it's being used for broadband deployment because broadband is, you know, everyone's getting away from from voice technology. And um, so uh, the way that that is funded is also tied into how 911 and AWIN and some of these other things that uh, we can get into uh, if we have time. And the uh, thought was is one of the things that we're wanting to do is we're wanting to try to promote more broadband in the state. It's... uh, definitely that's a need that we've got to look at uh and so as part of the funding of the 911 uh it was hoped that we could get some additional money to help further the push of broadband out into the rural parts of the state and there's still efforts that are ongoing on that uh as far as the eight million dollars additional uh there are negotiations going on about whether that's still going to be there or not because there are changes that would occur to that arkansas high cost fund that some of the carriers are not excited about we'll just put it that way to okay. be to be mild uh and so we may come to the point where uh, one of the proposals that I made today is that additional funding that was going to go into the Arkansas High Cost Fund and go to just that select group. What I wanted to do with it is to not put it in the Arkansas High Cost Fund and shift it and create uh, the reverse auction. And I think we've talked about that in the, uh, in the past. Uh, as it stands right now, the latest uh, talk that we've had, and like I said, this is all in flux, is essentially leave the Arkansas High Cost Fund alone. We're not making any changes to it. Uh, during the interim, study it, maybe pick it apart and look to see if, if we're going to have some changes. Uh, and as we get into the next next hour, we can maybe go into some more details about the issues that are involved in the High Cost Fund because that's where okay. a lot of the controversy is at. The, uh, with the reverse auction, what I'm hoping to do there is instead of limiting it to just those telephone companies, is to opening it up to all broadband providers. 
So the idea behind it is basically simple. Whoever can come to us, give us the best uh, deal, the most subscribers for the least amount of money, is the one who would win grants under the reverse auction. So you create a competitive environment to get the best bang for the taxpayer dollars. There are just certain parts of the state that you cannot make a business case to go into. That just unfortunately the the case. And when it comes to infrastructure, it's about money. Uh, my committee, we looked at statutes and policies, and we were in great shape. There's no statutes or policies that are prohibiting the deployment of broadband across the state. It's just it costs a lot of money to dig through rock. What, what are we talking about? How much money is this for the entire state? What are we looking at? Uh, probably north of $100 million. Okay. To do so it. Why um, would you but, but, but not $100 million tax dollars, but we would be talking hundreds of millions of dollars worth of infrastructure investment within the state by the providers. So why would you dig through rock when there's, when there's power poles all over the place? Uh, that's a whole other can of worms that we can open up. Okay. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, and that's actually that's that's a fight that's been going on actually across the country. Two years ago, um, or when we back up, four years ago, we had actually looked at legislation to look at the pole attachments, mm-hmm. and uh, it was decided at the time it was better to let the public service commission here handle it mm-hmm. because they can be a lot more flexible than if we were to put something in statute. And so they opened up a docket. They came to a place where everybody was equally unhappy, and that's kind of where we're at. Okay. Uh, the, the issue related with the pole attachment is the poles belong to a utility company. Utility companies are regulated, so that way there's one power line going through your neighborhood and not three because you've got three competitors. So there's only one one electric company, one power right. line. And they've been granted a monopoly. And they've been granted a monopoly. Questionably exactly right. constitutional at right. best. But that's why there's a public service commission is to overlook that monopoly to make sure they're playing by the rules. So blah, right. blah, blah. The, uh, so if you're a cable provider, Provider instead of or internet provider instead of running through the rock, if you want to use those poles, you can, but you have to pay a fee pay, because those poles, the, yeah, those poles are po- pole fee because yeah. the poles, poles cost something. The poles cost something exactly, and so there was the rub. The utilities could basically charge whatever and prevent competitors from coming in because maybe they want to offer broadband one day. Mm-hmm. The utilities also had a good point, and sometimes when these cable providers would run cables on the poles, they wouldn't do a very good job of it. They'd leave a mess. Maybe damage the poles. They would damage, right, exactly. And and so that became an issue. And when they damaged it, who was responsible for paying those costs? Mm -hmm. Was it the utility? Then it becomes the electric company. Should the electric company and their customers have to pay? The next ice storm comes through and and several poles break off and knock knock power out and have the cost, and that's 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 a real issue. Sure. And so, but on the other hand, the government grants monopoly status to mm-hmm. these power companies, mm-hmm. and they also grant them um, um, eminent domain, do sure. they not? And so, so there, there's quite a bit of power that comes All along right with this, right. this this privilege, mm-hmm. if you will. You're right. And, and that's why we're essentially forcing the power companies to accept these pole attachments. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, on the defense of the the power companies, it has to be done right because right. you don't want to interfere right. with no, electricity you're right. or other. Right. Um, right. And, and anybody who's driving down the road right now listening to the radio, if you see power lines, those you know, you got your three phases running across right. the top and halfway down the pole, all those lines that you see running through there are typically sure. cable, telecommunications, things like that. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of people who do it right, but there's a lot of people who've evidently not done it right, and it's, it's created some issues. Is there a way of regulating that so that whoever does put up, you know, a cable for a broadband or whatever mm-hmm. we're talking about here 
has to meet a minimum standard? Right, and that's what that docket at the Public Service Commission was that they came to. Okay. So that's... That's that, the one that ticked everybody off. Right, right. That, yeah, exactly. Made everybody unequally happy. So right. um, it seems to be working so Must far. Must have been good. Yeah. yeah. It made everybody unequally yeah. happy. Yeah. Usually you know you're about right when everybody's fairly, you know. Irritated. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Equally irritated yeah. with it. Yeah. Well. Um, so that's what they're, so they're currently they are they are attaching poles. Correct. Attaching poles. Correct. Yeah. And so why can't they go ahead and do that up in northern Arkansas where there's so much rock? Well, they can. They can. Okay. They can. So yeah, they can. They're still yeah. kind of fighting over it, but they can do it. They can. They can. Yeah. So yeah, you can either do that, or uh, there are some places where power where there's not power lines, and of course you also run into the situation where if you run it underground, you don't have to worry about ice storms and right, right. you know right. weather and and mm-hmm. those related issues, and so. Um, there are benefits to right. There's a there's kind of a a, a, a real lifespan to tell right. the pole. There's what twenty thirty years at best. Maybe uh, I don't know what it is, but there's a, there's a lifespan because right. they're not permanent. It's right. not like underground. As long as someone doesn't hit it, it's it, it's, it's, it's kind yeah, of there. Yeah. I guess. Or dig through it or dig through it. Right. Yeah, the yeah. fiber is there for fifty years. Yeah, and right. it's a, there's no right. maintenance involved. In so it. you're talking about talking to us earlier about the idea of it of some of these telecommunications systems actually going uh, into satellites. Mm-hmm. Is it maybe a better idea to wait on some of that technology to get here in the next three or four years um, rather than spending a hundred plus million dollars on infrastructure potentially um, and so right now there's current uh, i don 't know how much time we 've got because this will take a few minutes to explain okay we got two minutes two minutes I will try my best okay uh, so with current satellite technology, the issue is is the satellite's located twenty five thousand miles out from the earth. So when I'm at home and I send a request out to the internet, that signal's got to go 25,000 up, 25,000 back down to a a processing station, go wherever on the planet to get the information, come back, be processed, and spend another 50,000 miles round trip. So a total round trip uh, uh, through that system is over 100,000 miles. And at speed of light, you're looking at at least half a second delay. And that doesn't... uh, account for any congestion on the satellite or congestion at the receiving station. And so if you're doing just basic email, web browsing, it's, it's not really a big issue. Forget about gaming. Yep. So gaming, video conferencing, it's, it's, it becomes... Kind of, the, the lag is too much, right, kind of. Right. It really becomes an issue. And so there are several companies. Uh, Elon Musk uh, has got uh, one of the companies that's looking at developing low-Earth orbiting satellites to uh, provide broadband. Uh, Google has done, you know, high-altitude balloons. So there's a def- couple of different ways that they are looking at doing it. But there's, I think, three or four different companies that are looking at these low-Earth orbiting satellites. Uh, they would only be up about 250, 300 miles. So you get rid of the latency issue. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is your footprint is now only about the size of Arkansas, whereas out at, you know, 25 geosynchronous orbit, you can see the entire Hamilton planet oh right so the issue becomes one satellite's not going to cut it you have to have thousands all right so hold your thought holding on come back with us this is going to get interesting and you're going to understand why this is so convoluted because it is convoluted we'll talk about it when we return on the dave ellswick show all right we're talking about the 911 bill house bill 1564 and I think that you're starting to understand how, how really, uh, you know, complex this yep. piece of legislation is going to be. They got about three or four weeks to get everything buttoned up and get it voted on because they don't want to try to carry this another two years. No, no, this is this is definitely an issue that we need to uh, need to try to solve this session or try to make progress on, anyways. 
Um, so before the break, we were talking about broadband, and then maybe we can get back some to 911 and some of the other things that, that we're looking at. But um, we were talking about how um, the satellites that are currently offered, the Internet, the signal has to travel over 100,000 miles round trip, and you've got the delay and, and lag. And there are four companies that I know of. One of them is being sponsored by Elon Musk, and he's really pushing this because he's hoping that the income from this company will help fund his trip to Mars. So uh, so he's got a vested interest in seeing this happen. And so um, they're wanting to put up a fleet of low-Earth orbiting satellites to offer broadband, and it'll be worldwide broadband. So these will just be going one behind the other, just right. going fast around the Earth. Right. Yeah, so uh, I think they're talking four. I've heard numbers between 4,000 and 12,000. So wow. there, there's a lot of satellites. Uh, they've already launched the first couple, so they're doing uh, proof of concept on it. And evidently, from what I've been reading, they've been having some success with it. They can get them and, to orbit consistently and, and yep. fast enough and yep. keep them hitting the ground. Right. Well, yeah. Well, if they're up there orbiting, they won't hit the ground. That's just <laughs> the physics works. But... Um, the uh, but if but if they can get enough of them up there, then yes, they could p- provide planet-wide coverage of uh, mm-hmm. internet. Uh, the only downside is is it will still be a wireless signal and um, bad storms and still can interfere. Right, you can have just like your TV satellite can create uh, the storms can create an issue. Uh, the signal can also be intercepted, and so you could potentially have security issues. You know, for the average user, probably not much of a concern, but for more uh, critical infrastructure. Uh, you don't want to be using wireless for those for that reason, um, but based upon what, the way they're talking, they're saying maybe three years or so, and this will be available. Wow. Um, so it's kind of hard to justify investing very much in in, in hardwired infrastructure. Right. Uh, but as everybody knows, uh, a lot of times three years becomes five years becomes eight years. So, That's right. Um, so you, you don't want to put all your eggs in, in one basket. So, with the kind of getting back here to the, the the broadband bill, so that's something that's been in the back of my mind: is how much do we uh, want to invest as a state uh, into helping give grants for broadband? Uh, the way we had originally talked about it, the uh, uh, money that we were going to raise on this, there was going to be an additional eight million dollars that was going to go into the Arkansas High Cost Fund. Um, I had insisted, instead of it all going to the high-cost fund, because it would only go to the telcos, that we pull some of that out, do the reverse auction, create com- uh, competition, free market uh, principles here on this, and open it up to all broadband providers. Uh, one of the suggestions I made this morning is let's just leave it alone because there's a lot of controversy and a lot of my colleagues have concerns about how that's currently being being handled. And it is a political hot potato uh, because a lot of the small providers – what they do or what they've done is when they invest in this infrastructure, it's, it's very costly. And so the money coming from the Arkansas High Cost Fund is not enough to make that investment. So they'll go out and borrow the money, and then they depend on the money from the Arkansas High Cost Fund to pay that that loan or those bonds right. back off. And so if we yank that out from underneath them all of a sudden, then those companies are going to go away, and you're going to have a lot of people out in rural areas of our state that have no telephone, no Internet. no, no They won't have any telecommunications. And uh, so I, so we can't do that. So any changes that we do to the Arkansas High Cost Fund will have to be gradual over time, keeping those kind of ramifications in mind. Uh, the suggestion that I've made this morning, whether it'll be ultimately the direction that we go, is that $8 million that we talked about in the past is let's do away with the $8 million. 
so that means we can keep that tax increase that we're wanting to, to look at lower. Uh, set up the reverse auction and allow the reverse auction to essentially be a catch. So uh, we've got the $40 million, which still go to the Arkansas High Cost Fund. We'd have $18 million for the 911. We'd have $12 million for AWIN, and we can hopefully we'll have time to talk about those two in a little more detail. And then if we generate any extra money, it would spill over into the reverse auction and allow for uh, some added, for, added infrastructure, for, or whatever, added infrastructure whatever for, for 911. And then that way what that does is as the number of devices grow within the state, that catch will start catching more. And if it starts catching more, then instead of five, ten years from now, the hope is, and, and the reason why I suggested this, if we need more money for 911 or we need more money for AWIN as you know their expenses grow, just like the expenses of everything else grows, instead of having to go back to the taxpayers and ask for more tax, we'll just reduce what's going into that reverse auction. So maybe one year it generates you know three million or five million. Well, instead of us going back to the taxpayers, we'll just reduce that catch by a million or two, whatever we need be, and divert it back to these more critical needs. Does that make sense? Um, so whether that plan is ultimately adopted or not, you know, it remains to be seen. Um, my, I gave up a long time ago predicting what the outcome of the country would be down here, uh, uh, which is one of the things that makes it interesting. You just never know right. what's going to happen, right? Right. Um, so what I'd like to do is let me, let me back up. I want to talk about AWIN and 911, what we're, what we're looking at doing with them. Uh, I want to start off with the, uh, the AWIN system. For folks who don't know what the AWIN system, it stands for the Arkansas Wireless Information Network. It's the system that our first responders use to communicate with each other in uh, emergency situations, tornadoes, earthquakes, floods, so on. Uh, so uh, when one of these emergencies occurs, it allows the police department to talk with the sheriff's department, to talk with the forestry department, so so they can all communicate and coordinate their efforts. Yeah, all emergency all, personnel all, all would emergency. be on the exact same system. Right. the forestry service, everyone. And as a matter of fact, as I understand it, you can have a first responder in West Memphis, Arkansas, talking to a first responder in Fort Smith, Arkansas. Uh, Arkansas actually has one of the best systems of this kind in the country, partly because we're one of the few states that actually has this system. But it was uh, put together in a piecemeal system, uh, way. You had one agency was responsible for the tower itself. One agency was responsible for the equipment on the tower. One agency was responsible for the land that the tower was sitting on. You had somebody else responsible for getting the grass cut and mowed. And, and so it was a patchwork across the state. I mean, uh-huh. it worked and it was good, but it was still, it, it was a mess. Uh, Lots of monkeys. Yes, exactly. And when my committee started looking at uh, start, started looking at this, one of the first questions I had is, how many tower sites do we have? Nobody knew. Mm-hmm because there were so many pieces involved. So through the years, one of the uh, efforts that uh, I started and uh, got a lot of support and the governor helped with this is let's get everything under one department. And, it, and uh, the one that I suggested and they ultimately with, went with, and the one that makes the most sense is the Department of Emergency Management. Uh, so that transition to the Department of Emergency Management is almost complete. So you've got one agency who's overseeing the whole thing to make sure it's being done right and you get the efficiencies that come along with it. Uh, as part of that, we need a funding source to make sure that the system is there and resilient so that, you know, hopefully we don't need it very much. But so, if it's there, w- then it's going to be there and, and, and work. So let me see if I understand this correctly. So we've got a system, sort of like a cell phone system, mm-hmm. but it's totally independent. It's wireless. Totally independent from the rest of our cell phone systems. Correct. 
So they have their own their own towers, their own equipment. Wow. They're, they're, it's the handheld walkie. So okay. so why is that a good idea? Why not put them on cell phones? Is it in, is it in any way regulations? <sighs> is it any is it in any way better um, or even as good? Uh, well, it, it's not it's not always as simple uh, because there's a lot of places where there are no cell towers and. Uh, so our towers are out in a lot of different areas where they're not. We have looked at the possibility of maybe allowing cell phone companies to place some of their equipment on our towers, and, you know, maybe rent mm-hmm. as a source of income for it. And vice uh, versa. And vice versa. Uh, but you can get into uh, interference issues okay. and the placements. And so it's not always as cut and dry as sharing all the t- mm-hmm. you know, uh, there's, there's a other issues is, is there a real good reason not to just give them cell phones uh yeah because self towers go down and you, mm-hmm. you have places where there's not cell coverage mm-hmm. and when i talk i want to talk to a bunch of people it's not just me calling you okay so um you know maybe back during when they had the push to talk uh cell phones i guess those all went away maybe there could have been yeah, something there but yeah, i don't know how that works but, but um yeah uh and, and plus, it's like walkie-talkies. Yeah, kind of like walkie-talkies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and plus, you don't want to, you don't necessarily always want it to be dependent on those other systems too. Mm-hmm. Um, during the when the tornado went through Valonia a couple of years ago, uh, there it wrecked, was it wrecked a bunch of stuff. Yeah, it wrecked a bunch of stuff, and there was no cell phone service. The only way I could get information out is I'd send a text, and every once in a while they'd catch a you know distant tower, and a text would go out. But calling and a lot of other things were impossible. But the A one system was there and was working. Yeah. Um, so and, how, how did their towers survive? Um, they weren't. They just weren't hit. Okay. Where the cell phone towers? Yeah, they were missed, and the the tower, the other towers were hit. Um, and so, so part of what this will do is by this new funding that we'll create is uh, we'll go to AWIN, but at the same time it will free up funds in these other agencies. So the money these other agencies were spending on this, that money will be freed up. Uh, a lot of that's general revenue money. So, for example, the state police, uh, the portion they were paying for AWIN, that'll go away. So I know there was some concern early on about the um, the cuts we made to the concealed carry fund. Maybe there's an opportunity here for this to help plug that hole because that money is okay. – um, so, so why do we want to raise our cell phone bills so the state police can have more money? Um, I mean, they send lobbyists down here that seem like they have plenty of money. Completely different funding sources. So if, if we were going to do anything with that savings, it would be to cut their budget, keep the money in general revenue, and any tax cuts that would come from it, those tax cuts would have to be like income, sales tax, those type of things. So they're two separate, two separate bank accounts, if you will, Okay. just to, just to help keep things clear as mud, right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so moving away from AWIN, talk, talk about 911. Okay, so let's get to 911. That's the third system. That's, the third, that's the third one. Um, the uh, 911 system, the way it was built, was also piecemealed here in the state. A lot of that grew up in the 70s, 80s, and 90s across the state. There's currently 127 PSAPs, and PSAP stands for Public Safety Access Point. Basically, you call 911, and that, they're the ones that answer, that answer the, the telephone. And right now, it's relatively close to where you Gener- yes, yes. Um, so, for example, in Faulkner County, which is you know, where, where Paul and I are from, there are two PSAPs. There's one in the city of Conway. That PSAP serves Conway proper. The second PSAP is in Greenbrier. So Greenbrier basically serves the small small municipalities in the counties. Um, so if I call 911 from my house, I'm outside of Greenbrier, I'll hit the Greenbrier PSAP, and they will dispatch their officers from that office. Um, Lone Oak County, as we've talked about previously, they have six PSAPs. 
So they get confused when they figure they, out. They, when, you better yes. believe they yeah. get confused. Yeah. And so one of the things that we're looking at doing with this bill is trying to find places where we can consolidate and create efficiencies. Um, the proposal on the bill is to bring it down to 77, but to allow the 911 board. So this is a new board we're going to create that's going to look at best practices. Uh, it's going to look at creating um, you know, how these guys uh, talk to each other. So when these transfers occur... Um, they're the ones that are going to look at the funding models for how we're funding these. So this, the $18 million that we're going to uh, looking to collect for the 911 system, they'll be the ones who determine the best distribution for that. Um, so we've the way the laws, the way the bill is proposed now is we will reduce it to 77 across the state, roughly one per county, except in the larger counties, and then give the 911 board the opportunity to. Uh, create waivers to go above it as it makes sense to do so. So, because there are some counties where it may make sense to to maybe have two, like a Faulkner County. All right, I got to get a break in. When we come back, I want to know: Are we going to sit and decide under one what kind of uh, technology we want to mm-hmm. use across the state mm-hmm. so that you can have some cost cutting there? Right. Uh, bottom line: We're talking about nine one one. Stephen Meeks is our guest, state representative. And uh, as you can hear, there's a whole lot of balls up in the air that he is trying to juggle. We'll come back, talk more about this when we return on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, so as you're figuring out, as you're listening to Stephen Meeks talk to us, this is a complex uh, topic that we're talking about. That's why we'll pick it up again next week. Uh, and talk further about it. And there may be changes by the time we get Stephen Meeks back on next week. But we've got five minutes left, Stephen. Tell us a couple of things that we really need to know about. Okay. Um, so the the 911, the equipment that our operators use at our local PSAPs, they've got to be updated about once every five years. They're upgrading the uh, technology, the software, hardware. And as we go forward in time and that stuff becomes more complex obviously the the cost increase currently in faulkner county and i'll just use that because i know that one the best they're facing uh between half a million and six hundred thousand dollars worth of shortfall that's money that the county is putting in just to keep these systems operational um going forward that's going to increase um they've told me that uh, to do the upgrade next go around they're going to need north of a, of a million dollars and that kind of money is detrimental to the county to try to try to cover that uh, and that same story we've heard across the state. And so part of the purpose point of what we're trying to do here is we're trying to plug that hole for the counties to make sure that our 911 system is going to be there for tomorrow and also at the same time look to where we can find best practices, better accountability, and uh, consolidate to create efficiencies to keep the cost to the taxpayers as low as possible while still making sure the system is as is as resilient as possible. Uh, you know, as a lawmaker, when I hear stories about uh, folks who called 911, 911 couldn't find them, and so they ended up calling Uber on their phone, and then they got an Uber lift. And, and I've heard that on more than one occasion, mm-hmm. for more than one instance. That That's troubling. Right. And so... Uh, this legislation may not fix all of that, but it's going to be a good step in that direction. Okay. Yeah. All right. So 
It's an ongoing process, yes. is what you're telling yeah. us, and it won't be done until probably the last day of the session. Uh, that's entirely possible. <laughs> so, how does that? How, how, what are you thinking the the cost savings will be? Because if you're talking about the next go around, you're thinking Faulkner County might be at north of a million dollars. Mm-hmm. Do you think this will save considerably more than that? Uh, I hope so. I, well, the, the the proposed legislation here, the money that's in there, will not cover the entire $600,000 that they're short. It'll mm-hmm. cover a good portion of it, but it won't cover all of it. So it's not going to replace the system then no. yet? No, not yet. Okay. Um, so, but it'll at least help because if you think about it, that's half a million dollars for Faulkner County. You multiply that by 75, and we're talking, you know, $40, 50000000 million in order to fully cover that for every county and that's that's quite a hefty you know tax that we'd have to look at collecting in order to do that uh and i just there so the, the idea of reducing it down to 75 or 77 right. is, is not that's not on the table yet no that that that's that's currently in the bill that's currently in the bill currently so that, in the bill is 77 so if this passes then it would kind of do away with the system we have in Faulkner county right now Potentially. Uh, potentially. Over time. Potentially. Over time. Right. There's a there's a time period in there. And that's what the nine one one the nine the newly created nine one one nine one one board would have to work out those specifics. And uh, as I said, we're talking about putting a waiver in there so that if they look at the Faulkner County situation and say, Yes, that's the most reasonable circumstance <clears throat> because Faulkner County, they're talking about potentially looking to privatize. And if they privatize, um, both of those PSAPs may become private entities. Mm-hmm. And in which case there could be some cost savings there. That's something that's still being explored. And if it works out, then that may be a model that the state. But uh, hopefully this will create the situation to allow them to look at doing that. Because right now they can't do that. Uh, give they're, them not, that they're not allowed to privatize. They're not allowed to privatize. Okay. Uh, one of the problems you get into with privatizing is... A 911 operator is a, dip, is, a, is a deputy of the county or whoever the sheriff is or so on. So they have that diplomatic immunity. So if someone uh, gets hurt, you got the prosecution and liability issue. When you bring in a private company, they don't necessarily have that. So you, uh, we've got a, uh, we had to look at that in this issue, and there's just an outright prohibition. So. All right. Next week, when we come back and have Stephen on to talk about this, uh, we'll talk about how much is this, how are they going to pay for this? Mm-hmm. And there's going to be a, a cost factor on your your digital devices. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about that next time. And, Stephen, thanks for giving us the time you gave to us today. Thank you for having me today. We'll have you back next week. Coming up after the break at the bottom of the hour, Senator John Bozeman joins us from D.C. You won't want to miss that. That uh, will finish up then the Dave Ellswick Show for today.
All right, going to break away from uh, talking state business to talking uh, national business. And joining us from Washington, D.C., Senator John Bozeman is our guest. And, Senator, thanks for giving us the opportunity today. No, hey, Dave, thanks for having me. And you're just busy. You're getting the people at the state capitol straight, and now you're getting me straight. And that's really what it's all about. <laughs> well, it's, I'll tell you what, a lot going on here this year, uh, monumental changes being considered on a state level. Uh, they're just talking, we just talked the last hour and a half about 911 and A wins and all of that, and it's oh, in a, yeah. Yeah. It, it's a complex issue that they're they're having to deal with. But let's talk those about some. Those are glamorous things, but those are you know those are the underpinning of the infrastructure of the state. So it really yep. is important. Yeah, absolutely, and people need to know. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's they're going to be if it's a family of four, got four cell phones and a couple of of iPads, going to cost them about one hundred and seventy two dollars a year. Uh, you know, and uh, you want to know where that money's going and why it has to be spent. All right, let's talk about uh, what's going on nationally. Let's start off with one of my favorite people, uh, AOC, and her uh, Green New Deal that she's got. Did they say that this could cost $600,000 a family over 10 years or something like that? Well, it's $93 trillion price tag over 10 years. Uh, which is almost an unimaginable amount of money. So yeah, uh, the uh, it's it's just you know a little something for everybody, and uh, so it would cost uh, sixty five thousand each year. You know what? You know what's really amazing to me, Senator. Yeah, she talks about this stuff. And uh, and says we want to do get rid of all of carbon based uh, energy and things of that nature and yes. go to solar, go to wind. Here's what she doesn't talk about: how many jo- how many jobs will that destroy? How much is it going to cost to retrain those people? How much how much is it going to cost? And what the Democrats will want to do as far as food stamps, welfare payments, and all the rest? I don't think they factor any of that kind of stuff into this. No, they don't, and it's $3,600 per household in increased electricity cost, you know, per oh year. So, you know, what does that do to, you know, uh, what does it do to everybody, but particularly, you know, single moms, people on fixed incomes, things like that. So you're right. They don't, they don't talk about that at all. And, of course, she says that everybody's going to be dead in 12 years anyway. So, <laughs> yeah, why know, do like, this? Let's eat, drink, and be merry. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. Let's have a big party. So, so are we going to have The other bicycle? thing they don't talk about, Dave, is, is the United States has done a tremendous job of, of really reducing their emissions. We're a world leader. And I've always been an all-of-the-above guy. Uh, wind and solar sure. now is so much more efficient. I was visiting with the, uh, the guys that make the blades in uh, Little Rock. Mm-hmm. who do a great job. You know, that, that, that is becoming uh, an efficient form of energy. And so we can be proud of all of those things. But rather than, uh, you know, push forward, let the private sector, which is doing, you know, come up with solutions, uh, we've got this, you know, wannabe, let's let the, you know, the central government dictate all this stuff, which simply just doesn't work. Yeah, it, it does not work. And she she's just coming up with things that, you know, if it was just science fiction, I would really enjoy reading it. But, I mean, she wants to make this reality, and there's, there's no way to make this reality at this time. 
No, there's really not. And I was on the floor yesterday talking about this and several members, and uh, it really got under our our Democratic uh, colleague's skin because, <laughs> you know, it's, it's just these things are indefensible. And the idea of, of getting rid of all man-made carbon uh, or, CO, you know, CO2 by, car, you know, the carbon uh, in 10 years, it's, you know, that's that's just a ridiculous statement. Uh, certainly, you know, we can continue to, to make the air cleaner, make our water cleaner. Again, we can be very, very proud of that. But you have to do that in a responsible way. And as you said, you know, what does that do to jobs? One of the things that we've been blessed as a nation is having so much energy abundance that uh, the name of the game in manufacturing is cheap energy cost. And we've been blessed with that. And we need to protect that. And uh, that's how we can compete on a global, uh, global platform. Yeah, because I can tell you, I don't need to tell you, because you know this, China, India, and other nations are going to keep on pumping out the coal. No, I've I've actually been in meetings, Dave, and I can remember a, a luncheon, you know, uh, sitting by the, the Chinese. Uh, their attitude is, give us 200 years of being irresponsible like you've had with your industrial revolution, and then we will be responsible. They they don't have any you know their their number one goal is just uh, you know feeding their population and India is in the same situation so uh, like I say we can be very very proud of our efforts we need to continue to to do that and with the increased battery technology and things like that all of those are really positive things that have come about but but let's talk in terms of you know realistic terms that we can achieve. Uh, set some goals, which we have, but but this crazy stuff, and then you throw in Medicare for all, which right now our share of uh, you know medical care to GDP is about 18 percent, by far more than you know most any industrialized country. That would push it up to 36 percent. So you know it's just all this crazy stuff that that is simply unworkable. And the scary thing is, you know, a good number of these people that are running for president on the Democrat side have embraced all this stuff. Yeah. Well, this reminds me of some of my uh, fellow students when I was in college, and they had great and grand dreams. But they were pipe dreams, and that's what I believe that the Green New Deal is as well. Let me move on to something that's really bothering. Let me me just chime in, because it's interesting. Uh, Joe T. Robinson, I I was going to say yesterday, the Democrats kept interrupting uh, the the talks, and I have Joe T. Robinson's desk. And he was the majority leader during, you know, Robinson Auditorium, all of those things. Right. He was the majority leader during the New Deal. And, you know, the New Deal was a, you know, a very liberal enterprise and things like that. But, you know, my comment was going to be, you know, if he were here, well, he would be rolling over in his grave to know that they're calling this thing the Green New Deal in the Mm -hmm. sense, you know, it is so far out. You know, I mean, you know, he was, those guys were were, uh, liberal. Uh, You know, they were trying to do the best they could do, you know, by creating these programs, but this stuff, you know, it, you know, it just pales in comparison. I mean, it's just, it's just wild. 
Well, the, the next thing I wanted to bring up to you, and it's something that has, you know, when you hear bills passed in other states and things of that nature, and it and it hurts inside. Uh, here recently in New York and in uh, Virginia, I think up in the other parts of the Northeast, uh, spiritually I felt hurt with uh, these abortion bills that let them kill unborn babies up to the moment of birth. And in some cases, the Virginia governor suggesting that if a child is still born uh, under, you know, going through an abortion, it should be, you know, we'll give it we'll give it some really compassionate care by putting a blanket over it and keeping it warm while it dies. I mean, this is not the America I grew up in, Senator, when I hear people talk like that. No, you're right. And and just the idea of, of talking like that, uh, you know, if you thought that would be possible uh, 10 years ago, you'd say, no, that's crazy. You know, the idea of, of advocating abortion up to birth, uh, literally, you know, to the last day. It, it's interesting. We, we have, uh, when you look at uh, countries, there's I believe there's only four or five countries that allow third term, you know, late term abortions, and and, and we are one of those. Uh, China, uh, North Korea, and I believe Vietnam are the others. It, it's countries like that. Mm-hmm. But when you look at Europe and you know the rest of the you know the civilized world, uh, they're not doing those things. So the idea that we're lumped with that and cannot get a vote, uh, you know, to get these things passed to prevent that. Not to go any further than that, but to prevent that uh, is absolutely crazy. And and as you said, you know, the governor of Virginia talking about, well, you know, we'll, you know, we'll do some things and then, you know, talk as to what we do next, you know, with the parents mm-hmm. uh, once they're born is just absolutely crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. So tell me a little bit about the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act. I, I got to believe that the Democrats are totally against it. No, they're they're very much against it. And what it would do is create uh, criminal penalties for doctors who leave you know, the infants infants to be in that situation and to uh, to die. So it requires them to um, uh, take these abortion survivors and give them appropriate medical care. So this isn't a bill about abortion. This is about infants that, that yeah, you know, life. Are, 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 are definitely alive and just to you know to try and uh, uh, do that you best that you can to manage those little ones uh, once they're here and, and really do all you can to help them all right we've got to take a break senator if that's all right when we come back let's yeah, yeah, no, talk about uh, let's talk about e-verify and uh, also would like to try to get in about how the Democrats are obstructing the president's uh, nominee, nominees uh, that are out there. And you guys are having problems with that. We'll talk about that when we return. It's the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, Senator Bozeman is with us. He'll be with us to the top of the hour. Stay with us. We've got more to talk to him about. Learn the little no strategies that could help you save tens of thousands of dollars in taxes with a free tax reduction analysis. Uh, David Lucas can help you with that. You hear him every Saturday at 10 a.m., 3 p.m. right here at 101.1 FM, uh, The Answer. 
and uh, he gives you a lot of insights into this type of stuff. This free analysis is going to reveal the little-known strategies and loopholes that could help you save thousands of dollars in taxes with your IRA, 401K, Social Security benefits, and more. To get your free analysis, be one of the first 10 callers right now at 501-653-6690. That's 501-653-6690. It's your opportunity to save tens of thousands of dollars in taxes in retirement. The number again, 501-653-6690. A quick break and then back and we'll finish up our discussion with Senator Bozeman. All right, John Bozeman is our guest, our uh, senator, and he's in Washington, D.C. I'm glad that uh, he decided that he could join us today. It's, it's great to talk to him. Let's talk about E-Verify, 
Uh, Senator, it's a, a viable piece of controlling illegal immigration. What are some of your thoughts on it? I know that you and Senator Cotton have been working together on this. We have. We've been working with Senator Grassley, myself, and Senator Cotton. And, and this is really important, though, because we're working hard now to secure the border, uh, which we, you know, we have to do at some point. We need a, a visa program. But the, the magnet to coming to the United States is jobs. If the jobs aren't there, then they won't come. And so you have to hold employers accountable. But you don't want to make it such that they're the immigration agent and you know have to go through a, a you know a, a big hassle. So you want to make it easy so that they can check you know and make sure that people uh, that they suspect are here not legally uh, that we can uh, can verify that. And that's where you do it by by the e-verify system. So basically, you you punch punch those names in, uh, making sure that they don't have somebody else's social security number. Uh, you know, things like that. So it's a very easy system, but it's really very effective. And, and so that's why we would like it such that right now it's a voluntary program. That's why we would like it to become a mandatory program mm-hmm. uh, so that we could cut off the job supply uh, for the employers that are not doing the right thing. You know, they're hiring these people when they know that they are illegal or suspect they're illegal. Uh, but again, in a very simple way. So, you know, how how is that being received? Uh, are more people, uh, Republicans, receiving it uh, in a positive way? Republicans are receiving it in a very positive way. The, you know, the problem is you've got a group of people that would like, uh, they like illegal immigrants being here, uh, and as a result, uh, they don't want to do anything to curtail that. Mm. And so, you know, it's, it's just this, this battle that we're going through. And yet, I think that that if you're ever going to do anything comprehensive with immigration, uh, this things like this are going to have to be done, uh, and and be a basis of uh, you know coming to some sort of an agreement. Right now, the studies tell us the most recent study tells us from Harvard that there's like 20, 21 million people here illegally. Uh, that's a huge population. And uh, as we all know, we have uh, a really significant problem going on at the border right now. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Well, finally, let me ask one more question of you. This is something we've talked about a couple of times. Uh, Has it gotten any better the way the Democrats are trying to obstruct uh, the president's uh, nominees, you know, for judges and things of that uh, nation? And what are some... Have you guys done any rule changes to to help this situation? Uh, well, and that's a great question, Dave, and it's so important. If you look at the historical basis, uh, there were very few uh, situations where basic nominees were filibustered. Uh, so right now we're in a situation, though, where everyone that comes up uh, that the president would like to come work to fill these appointments are being filibustered. A good example would be we had a TVA nominee last week. Uh, this is a person that was non-controversial. In fact, he actually went by voice vote. Uh, the Democrats made us use 30 hours on that of potential. Uh, they didn't go down there and talk about him, good or bad, but uh, they made us use up the entire 30 hours of uh, required time that you had to discuss him. Uh, in the old days, that would have been yielded back. It wouldn't. They wouldn't have been filibustered in the first place. You would have had literally 
just you know a group of many many of these put together and, and uh, probably done by voice vote or, or done by a simple vote with maybe 20 30 40 at one time so we've got to change that and so what we're going to do is go down instead of 30 hours of debate require just two hours and I think we'll probably do that next week so that's really important uh, the president regardless of who the president is and there's always been this feeling that you know he deserves unless the person is very controversial or whatever he deserves the opportunity uh, to fill those positions with his people and uh, that's simply not happening on this presidency. It's, you know, if, if President Obama is for it, there's a group of people that, that are against it, regardless of whatever it is. Well, I got you for just a couple more moments. So, you know, a lot of people were wringing their hands about 2020, about President Trump getting reelected. I'll tell you what, seems like to me the House Democrats are doing a really good job of giving the American people all the all the, the ammunition they need to vote for President Trump for re-election with abortion, with these crazy schemes of socialism. What do you think? No, you're right. And, and there's a, I believe that they're voting today on the anti-Semitism uh, bill. Uh, this is something that, that, you know, initially they were going to do it. And then uh, some of their uh, members objected and uh, they had to discuss it for two or three days and, and water it down. Uh, you know, this this is an no-brainer. You, know, you can't yeah. you know you can't do those things. And, and certainly, uh, you know, we all need to object and call that out. Uh, I think some of them are so so that way that they don't even realize that they're doing because that's just how they talk. You know, so yeah. we're uh, <laughs> you know there's all kinds of things going on. The Green New Deal, as we mentioned earlier. And the list just goes on and on. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that they are really showing that uh, uh, if they gained complete control, uh, what their agenda is. And, and the reality, Dave, is, you know, this is a center country, uh, maybe a little center. It's, you know, certainly center right in Arkansas, but overall uh, center, uh, a little center right, a little center left. But it's not of this extreme uh Let's give every everything to everybody. You know that just uh, as we as we've seen uh, through my lifetime and your lifetime, the situations that are going on in places like Venezuela and this and that. It just simply doesn't work. It sounds wonderful, but it uh, in reality uh, creates just the opposite. And well, and it's sad, you know that the Europeans I visit with them and people from all over the world and. Yeah, we've always been the leader, you know, and set the standard in, in these things. And, and they point to us and, you know, try and move in our direction. And uh, and then uh, uh, they're concerned. You know, they, they don't like to hear this kind of talk coming out of uh, uh, the house, houses of Congress. I'm all, I'm all about that. I have to send you one of my uh, shirts that I've got. I had some sent to me. I'll send you one of them. It says freedom, not free stuff. Oh, that's very good. <laughs> I like that, that a lot. That sums it up, you know. It really does. Well, say, absolutely. You know, if, you, if you think it's expensive now, wait till it's free. You know? That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. That That's hits exactly it right, right, the nail on the head. Thanks a lot, Senator. Appreciate your time. We'll get together in another couple of weeks and, and talk some more. Well, thank you so much, Dave, for having me. Appreciate it. All right. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Senator John Bozeman out of Washington, D.C. Always a pleasure to talk to him. Some good stuff from the senator today. 
here on the Dave Ellswick Show. We're out of time uh, here at the State Capitol. When you uh, come back from the news, it will be a replay of my weekly interview with J.R. Davis. You, wanna, you won't want to miss it. Some very good discussion dealing uh, with J.R. So stick around for that. Paul, it's been a pleasure this week to yes, be sir. with you. Tomorrow I'll be back in the studio. It's a fun Friday. I'll see you then at 2 o'clock here on the Dave Ellswick Show.